I get it. It's not ideal. The doctors were saying that if I had not called 911 when I did, not that he could be dead, but that he would be. The account of yet another terrifying ordeal for an Ontario family and one young boy on the edge of death, all caught in a worsening healthcare crisis. Good evening. We will bring you that story in just a moment, but we begin tonight with the latest in a series of seemingly random attacks raising the anxiety levels of people in our city's core. Police are looking for a man responsible for slashing the faces of two people on two separate days, including one during Friday's morning rush near Young and Dundas. CTV's Allison Hurst is following this story and joins us now. Allison. Police say these two latest attacks were unprovoked and they say the suspect fled right after. Near Dundas Square, a terrifying attack is under investigation. A man allegedly slashed a person's face with a weapon while they were just standing outside. It's kind of scary, like, especially to be a woman, a young woman. Like, I, like I walk around alone. Like in the city. That happened Friday morning around 7:30. Then Sunday morning near Young and Adelaide, it happened again. This time, while the victim was asleep outside. I'm stunned. Like I walk here like every single day. I live right here. Toronto police have released a photo of a man with long dark hair, saying this is who they're looking for in connection to both incidents. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. This is. Uh, our city has become a really sad place. The two victims have since been treated in hospital and released. The knife attacks are way more personal. You have to get really close to someone. You can't do it from a distance. These are the latest examples of random stabbings in the last week. On December 4th, a woman says she was stabbed with a hypodermic needle while shopping for groceries near college and young. On Thursday, in the middle of the afternoon, two women were stabbed on the subway near High Park Station. Both were taken to hospital, but 31-year-old Vanessa Kurpuska died. Police say she didn't know her attacker. It could have been me. It could have been anybody. And that's what makes these attacks so scary. A variety of these attacks have been very random, which kind of speaks more to, I think, mental health issues really than it does people trying to get even with somebody or tr intentionally trying to harm a specific individual. Greg DeRoche lives in the area. I'm quite shocked. Definitely eye-opener to just be a little bit more vigilant and, and cautious when out and around. At least until police catch the suspect. Toronto police declined an interview, but they are asking anyone with information or who might recognize the suspect to contact them. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Allison. Turning now to the crisis in our province's health system and the latest example of a system overburdened and understaffed. CTV's Janice Golding has a story of one Ontario mother and the steps she was forced to take as her son faced a life or death situation. This arm, he had two IVs one in his elbow and one in his wrist. This is four-year-old Remy Rutherford. The Simcoe, Ontario kindergartner was airlifted to Kingston General Hospital 22 days ago, 350 kilometers from home. Terrifying, to be honest. When your kid ex gets a fever, this is not where you expect to end up. Four hours from home, in a PICU, unfamiliar people around you. Doctors at Norfolk General originally thought Remy had a viral infection and sent him home with Tylenol and Advil, but the youngster continued to get worse. He was unable to roll over. He was unable to um, feed himself, get to the washroom. Um, he was complaining of neck pain. Um, his arms and legs were hurting. He was complaining of having a headache. 
Local doctors realized Remy needed treatment in a pediatric ICU. Normally, Remy would have been rushed by ambulance to McMaster's Children's Hospital about 75 kilometers away. But it was full, as was the next closest children's hospital in London. We have a lot of respiratory illnesses that are affecting children right now. Predominantly, it's influenza, a lot of acutely unwell children. So uh, it's, this has been quite a challenge for quite a while. So Remy was flown to Kingston General, given it was the only hospital with an available pediatric bed. The doctors were saying that if I had not called 911 when I did, not that he could be dead, but that he would be. And it's like, that's probably a parent's worst nightmare. Remy had a bacterial infection called Group A Streptococcus. It often causes strep throat or scarlet fever. But in rare cases like Remy's, it can develop into sepsis, multiple organ failure. His kidneys, his pancreas, his liver and his spleen were all affected. His treatment involved a breathing machine and antibiotics. But Remy had a bad reaction to the IVs and his arms blistered. A terrible ordeal for the little boy, but also for his entire family who were separated by a four and a half hour car drive. His six-year-old sister. She was just so upset. She kept saying that. She felt like we had, she had drawn a picture of our family and that we had ripped her out of it. Like she was just like heartbroken. Today, the province's health minister acknowledged that it was not ideal for a family to have a child that far away. But it is also important to appreciate that by doing that air transport, that child was able to be uh, assessed and treated sooner. The doctors and the nurses they're saving people's lives. While his mother is relieved Remy is through the worst, she says she's also dismayed that her family and others are in this position at all. Janice Golding, CTV News. And the heartbreaking story of young Remy, just one of many top of mind for people working in the healthcare industry tonight. Hundreds gathered in cities across Ontario's southwest, voicing their anger at the province and demanding changes before it's too late. CTV's Austin Delaney joins us now with more Austin. Yeah, we had an ER doctor from Toronto General join the rally here today, telling the story about a woman who came in an ambulance to the emergency room with heart pain. He said it took her more than seven hours before she was given the most basic of a test because there wasn't enough staff. Fix it, don't sell it! Fix it, don't sell it! Chanting slogans urging the Ford government not to privatize public hospital services, the Ontario Health Coalition rallied outside Toronto General Hospital over the lunch hour. We are here today to protect our public health care. It is not for sale. Union leaders were joined by frontline health care providers, including technicians, nurses, and doctors. I'm going to tell you true stories of the suffering of actual patients. This emergency room doctor at the hospital told demonstrators patients are suffering because there are simply not enough resources to meet patient demands. I have a patient in their 80s whose intestines have ruptured. She is in intense pain and she is sitting in a chair hour after hour after hour. And it doesn't matter how many times I ask the nurses to give this poor woman a stretcher. There is no stretcher in the emergency room for this poor woman whose intestines have literally exploded in her abdomen. The boisterous crowd was sending a message up the street to Queen's Park, where the Ford government says it plans to appeal a court ruling that Bill 124, which limits most public sector pay hikes to 1%, is unconstitutional. This government has turned a crisis into a collapse. And let's be clear, 
This is a manufactured crisis of their own making. Healthcare workers burnt out after COVID are leaving the profession in droves. We're tired. We cry on the way to our shifts, we cry at work, and we cry when we leave. Many going stateside for better pay, benefits, and hours, rather than face what they call is the underfunding of the health care system. And the coalition says the Ford government is denying that there's a health care crisis. This demonstration today was one of three across the province. Reporting live, I'm Austin Delaney. Thank you, Austin. Still ahead, a Toronto officer makes concerning allegations about the force, leaving her questioning what it means to serve and protect. We'll have that CTV News exclusive for you in just a few minutes. SickKids Hospital says it's still running over capacity, but a recent move to cancel surgeries and shuffle staff may have saved some lives. The measure was to counter an ICU packed with respiratory cases. The hospital is now taking a team-based approach, meaning the specialized nurses from surgical units now work with an ICU nurse to care for three patients or more. Officials say they're preparing for the respiratory surge to last until March. Meanwhile, the leader of the federal NDP is calling for an emergency debate on Canada's health care crisis. We are at a breaking point. Things are very serious, and it's specifically for our children's hospital. Our children are at risk right now. Given how serious it is, it is wrong that the prime minister of this country is not showing up to deal with this national crisis. Justin Trudeau has a responsibility to sit down with premiers and find a solution. Jagmeet Singh wants concrete steps to address hospital overcrowding and staff burnout. And if nothing is done, the New Democrats are threatening to withdraw from their agreement with the Liberals that was signed in March. It props up the government on key votes in exchange for support of NDP priorities. Tragedy over the noon hour today after a crash involving a streetcar left a 70-year-old woman dead. Police say the senior was struck and killed by a van turning north on Spadina, from Dundas, just after 11. Officials say the streetcar was involved in the crash, but would not provide more details. The driver of the van is said to be cooperating with the investigation. No word on whether charges will be laid. High above the city again tonight and another brisk evening following another what you could call dreary day. The temperature is feeling more and more seasonal. Our Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. Lindsay. Well, Michelle, we didn't get the sunshine that we were hoping for. And temperature-wise today, it is cooler, certainly cooler than what we experienced uh, at the end of November and even the early part of December. Here's a look at the current satellite and radar. We're very quiet in terms of any active weather tonight, unlike yesterday when we had all that snow. You had more you had more sun today in eastern parts of Ontario. Now, the winds are coming out of the northeast. That's contributing to a wind chill factor. It already feels into minus double-digit territory in many areas. It's currently minus 3 degrees at Pearson Airport. Tonight looks to be one of our coldest nights of the week. But as the week goes on, we have some active weather in store. We'll give you an idea of how much snow could be on the way and when it arrives coming up. For now, Michelle, back to you. Thank you, Lindsay. A Toronto police officer is coming forward with a decade-long trail of sexual harassment in the Toronto Police Service. She's claiming that same culture has also reached the Toronto Police Association and is seeking millions in compensation for allegedly failing to represent her. John Woodward joins us now with this CTV News exclusive and more details on this case. John, what exactly are you hearing and what is she saying? 
In her complaint, Heather McWilliam, a constable, says the TPA chose to side with her abusers instead, and in some cases, those abusers held association positions. Performance appraisals that were all superior. That's what performance reviews of Constable Heather McWilliam said about 10 years ago before she says repeated sexual harassment drove her into hiding. It took a tremendous toll. McWilliam's lawyer, Gary Bennett, says despite winning a human rights complaint against the Toronto Police Service, she's still fighting. It's distressing. Think about everybody in your workplace ganging up against you or realizing that someone is harming you and just turning around and allowing it to happen. McWilliam filed a duty of fair representation complaint against the Toronto Police Association saying its representatives made sexually charged comments about her body, sexually assaulted her during a parade, propositioned her for a threesome, and when she turned them down, her career was sidelined. According to the claim, one said she had better be nice to him and the guys in the TPA in case one day she may need them because they only support financially those they know and like. When she asked the association for help, she says the agency ignored her, preferring to represent her abusers, saying the TPA caused, condoned and contributed to the culture of sexual discrimination at the TPS and therefore every instance of the TPA's representation and failure to provide Constable McWilliam with representation was tainted by this culture of systemic sexual discrimination. They were part of the problem. McWilliam is asking the Ontario Police Arbitration Commission to order the Toronto Police Association to repay her for years of legal fees, travel expenses and punitive damages for fleeing what she calls mental torture. Altogether, the amount adds up to more than $30 million. The TPA hasn't written a response to McWilliams' application yet. It didn't answer questions about McWilliams' claims, but said all members deserve to come to work and be free from unwanted harassment or discrimination. We have a variety of processes that ensure all members are represented fairly and provided with their entitlements set out in our collective agreements. Even the Toronto Police Service has admitted it has a problem of systemic sexism in a report earlier this year that said harassment and discrimination are regular occurrences. Sexual assault experts say that's a start, but a general response isn't enough. If you want to prevent sexual violence, have a process in place that really holds offenders accountable. It happens to policewomen every day. Bennett saying he hopes this application moves the situation for female police officers forward, though it has a long way to go. The TPA confirmed to us it's facing three total complaints on how it's represented its members in allegations of sexual discrimination filed so far but not adjudicated. We've learned one of those was filed in the last two weeks and we'll have more on that tomorrow. Reporting live, I'm John Woodward. Back to you. All right. Thank you, John. And if you have a story idea for CTV News Investigates, please let us know. You can email investigate at ctv.ca or visit our website for more secure and anonymous ways to get in touch. Several Canadians are among the nominees for the 2023 Golden Globe Awards. We'll have all the drama and an update on all the award show controversy. That's just ahead. Police have identified the victim of a deadly shooting over the weekend. Investigators say 17-year-old David Petrovich was shot and killed Saturday night just after 7 near Victoria Park in Danforth. Police say a 16-year-old boy was also shot but is going to survive. No word yet on suspects. And police are looking into a troubling incident inside a Scarborough mosque. Officers say someone disrupted morning prayers at the Islamic Foundation of Toronto and attacked the imam. Two mosque members stepped in to stop the assault. Police were called in and took one person into custody. They say this is not being investigated as a hate crime at the moment. No injuries were reported and no word on charges. Gun-related crime was down 22% in Toronto last year compared to the year before. 
The latest figures from Stats Canada also show violent crime involving guns dropped 5 percent between 2020 and 2021. But the rate of firearm-related violent crime across Canada was 25 percent higher than 10 years earlier. Violent crime in general went up 4 percent last year. But a decrease in firearm-related crime in urban areas led to the drop in violent crime with guns. And gun violence a focus for Hamilton police right now following a series of weekend shootings. They include the death of a young man late Sunday in what the officers are calling a targeted attack. CTV's John Musselman is in Hamilton with the details. Residents in this Hamilton neighborhood say they heard three shots ring out just after 8 o'clock last night. Just seeing police cars driving everywhere. This woman lives two doors down from the shooting. Her baby boy was sleeping when she heard the shots. It definitely adds a, a, another layer of fear. I mean, my son, it wasn't directly outside my house, but he was just up in my front, front window there sleeping. And it happened, you know, maybe not even 100 feet from where he was asleep. So um, even being a targeted attack, right, like it, it was, I didn't sleep well last night. When emergency crews arrived on the scene, they found a man lying on the road. Paramedics performed CPR, neighbors say, but the man did not survive. He's been identified by police as 23-year-old Everton Frost of Hamilton. It is still, still early in the investigation, and we are still working to determine the events surrounding the death. But we do believe at this time it was a targeted incident. Hamilton police say there is limited information on suspects. They're canvassing the neighborhood for any security video. They say the victim did not live in this neighborhood, but he has family connections here. The motive for the murder remains under investigation. The shooting happened at the side of this man's house on Morris Avenue. At this point, it's just feeling uneasy. It's that, you know, under your skin, not sure what to feel at this point. It's scary, but I, I don't know what to say. It's a good neighborhood. I lived here 20 years. We've got two grandchildren going to school here. Like I said, there's never been anything like that here. This was the third shooting in Hamilton this weekend. Police say they do not believe any are linked. Anyone with information about this homicide is asked to call Hamilton Police or Crime Stoppers. John Musselman, CTV News in Hamilton. A Libyan intelligence operative appeared in a Washington, D.C. courtroom today charged in the downing of Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland in 1988. I wasn't sure if, you know, within my lifetime... Uh, we would be able to see the day. So, so this is a, a significant milestone um, for me, my families, and all the families of, of those killed. This is something we fought for for over three decades. Um, are we satisfied? No. I mean, let, let's hear what happens in this trial. Is, is he the only person out there that is responsible for this bombing that is still alive and out there and free? No. Abu Aguila Mohammed Masoud Kir al-Marimi is accused of making the bomb that killed all 259 people on board, including one GTA woman and 11 other people on the ground. In 1991, two other Libyan intelligence operatives were charged. One was convicted. The other was acquitted. He's being remembered for his dedication to public service. Members of Parliament paying tribute following the death of Liberal MP and former Cabinet Minister Jim Carr. CTV's Glenn McGregor reports. Jim Carr served crucial roles in Justin Trudeau's cabinet, holding two critical cabinet portfolios, and when the party lost all its Alberta and Saskatchewan MPs, became special envoy to the prairies. The former Minister of Natural Resources and Trade Diversification had been living with multiple myeloma for three years. MPs today noted his death. 
Our colleague Jim Carr just passed away, and I think it would be an appropriate thing if we could just have a moment of silence and a prayer. In a statement, his family said, right up until the very end of his remarkable life, he was fighting for Winnipeggers, Manitobans, and Canadians, noting that only last week he celebrated the passing of his private member's bill on building a green prairie economy. Carr took an unusual path to public life, working first as a musician, playing the oboe, then later in journalism as an editorial writer with the Winnipeg Free Press. He was first elected as a provincial MLA in 1988 and became deputy leader of the Manitoba Liberals. He took a hiatus from politics until 2015 when he was elected as an MP and took on the difficult energy portfolio as the Liberals made climate change a key priority. From his House of Commons colleagues today, shock and sadness. It's a terrible loss. He's a great, um, great leader, great, uh, great colleague, and we'll miss him. He was always there and he was always decent. He represented, I think, what many Canadians hope to see our parliamentarians do, which is work together, and he worked across party lines. It feels natural that we took the day to just think about um, the work that we do here and to pay respects to him. Carr died at his home in Winnipeg, surrounded by his family. He was 71 years old. Glenn McGregor, CTV News, Ottawa. The Golden Globes have returned. And a highly anticipated sequel is among the nominees for Best Picture. Ontario-born James Cameron also picked up a Best Director nod for Avatar, The Way of the Water. The movie is a follow to the epic 2009 film Avatar and has already been added to a number of must-see lists for 2022. There were plenty of other Canadians on the nomination list. One of the biggest stories surrounding the awards ceremony is its return following last year's scandal and boycott. CTV's Raheem Ladani joins us with all those details. Raheem. Well, Nathan and Michelle, normally when an actor is nominated for these type of awards, there are big social media posts showing their excitement. But reaction for this type of award show has been much more subdued as the award ceremony tries to put its controversy in the past. The red carpet will be rolled out for the 80th annual Golden Globe Awards. But will all the stars come out to walk it? Tom Cruise gave back three of his Golden Globes in order to show his solidarity. So the big question is, will he show up to the Golden Globes? Cruise is one of several celebrities that have spoken out against the Hollywood Foreign Press Association after multiple scandals surfaced surrounding diversity, finance and ethics, knocking the award show off the air last year. Brendan Fraser, who has already said that if he was nominated, and today it came true, he was, that he would not be attending because 15 years ago, he says he was assaulted by the president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. The association has undergone some reform and now has six black voting members up from zero. Welcome to the nomination announcements for the 80th annual Golden Globe Awards. On the nomination front, Banshees of Inishirin, a dark comedy, leads all films with eight noms. Now it is time to get this party started. While Abbott Elementary topped television with five. We know that we are bruised. There's also plenty of Canadian content to root for. Toronto filmmaker Sarah Pauly earned her first two Golden Globe nominations for her film adaptation of the book, Women Talking. It's up for Best Screenplay Motion Picture and Original Score. We caught up with her at the TIFF premiere earlier this year. There was so much love and warmth and hope in the book. And I think that's what drew me to wanting to make it into a film. 
Other Canadians nominated include Hamilton's Martin Short, up for Best TV Actor in Only Murders in the Building. Vancouver's Seth Rogen, nominated for Supporting Actor in the limited series Pam and Tommy. I'm a gross red monster! And Disney Pixar's Turning Red, directed by Toronto's Domi Shi, is nominated for Best Animated Feature. The Golden Globes air on January 10th. Now, hosting the award ceremony will be comedian Jared Carmichael, and that is likely a calculated choice by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, which has been criticized for years of snubbing black-led projects and performances. Reporting live, I'm Raheem Ladani. We're live in Mississauga where voters are heading to the polls tonight to elect their next MP in a by-election, and the number of candidates on the ballot is record-breaking. Coming up, we'll have the latest on the race. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, the City of Toronto is sending out hundreds of thousands of notices regarding the new vacant home tax. Even if your home is not vacant, you need to declare the status of your property. If you don't, you could be fined. I'll have what you need to know just ahead. Clouds will clear tonight in Toronto, but the temperature will be cold. Minus 8 is what we're forecasting, feeling like minus 10 with the wind chill. It will also be a brisk feel in the morning tomorrow, but the upside is we've got plenty of sunshine in store for your Tuesday. Hold on, though, there's measurable snow in the forecast this week. We're going to talk about that coming up in your forecast, and stay with us. We have another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. Toronto's new vacant home tax aims to free up housing units and raise about $60 million annually for the city. Notices are being now sent out to Toronto residents, and even if your home is not vacant, you still have to respond or you could face fines. Pat Foran explains on Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Nathan and Michelle. Some viewers contacted CTV News today wondering if the notice they received was a scam. It's not. The city says you must reply to it, and if you don't, you could be fined $250. The City of Toronto is facing a housing crisis and soon owners of properties that sit vacant will be penalized with a vacancy tax. The tax has been in the works for more than two years. We simply can't afford, from the housing perspective, to have housing accommodation for thousands of people sitting empty. Now notices are being sent to Toronto residents that say all residential property owners are required to declare the occupancy status of their residential properties annually. You must reply before February the 2nd, and it says late declarations may be subject to a fine of $250. The goal of the vacancy tax is to increase housing supply by discouraging owners from letting their property sit empty. It could also generate up to $55 to $66 million in revenue for the city each year. The notice states residential properties that sit empty for more than six months in any given year will be subject to the tax. The tax is equal to 1% of a property's current value assessment. Someone with a vacant $1 million home would have to pay a vacancy tax of $10,000. The city of Ottawa has a similar vacancy tax in place, and residents there have also been receiving notices, which they too must act on. If you do not complete your declaration, your property will be deemed vacant and charged the tax. I think it's putting the burden on homeowners. In Toronto, there are some exemptions from paying the vacant home tax, including if the owner of the property has died, is in hospital or long-term care. The tax also does not apply if a property is undergoing major repairs or renovations. To make the process easier, the city says it will have an online declaration portal that should be ready later this month.
And many Toronto property owners have already received the notice, but if you haven't, keep an eye for it. You must declare your property status. If you don't, you could be fined or forced to pay the tax. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Voters in Mississauga Lakeshore picking a new MP tonight, and it could be a tough task. A by-election was called after the Liberal representative stepped aside in May, and the candidates lined up in droves to put their names on the ballot. CTV's Mike Walker is at a polling location in the Riding and joins us live tonight. Mike. Well, Michelle, Nathan, the race is crowded with 40 candidates on the ballot. Elections Canada says this is a new record for a federal election or by election, nearly doubling the previous record of 21. Now, the vast majority of candidates running in this by election are independents, and as a result, a special two column ballot is being used by voters. The Liberals have won this riding in the last three federal elections and have tapped former Ontario Finance Minister Charles Souza as their candidate. Now, Souza has previously served Mississauga as a Liberal MPP from 2007 to 2018. Now, among the other candidates running in this by-election are Ron Schisner, a Peel Regional Police Officer who is running for the Conservatives. He placed second in this riding in the last election. Julia Cole, a former provincial constituency assistant, is the NDP candidate. And Mary Kidnew is running for the Green Party. Now, this is the first time Canadians can vote for a Conservative candidate since Pierre Polyev took over as leader of the party. Here's more from voters we've been speaking with tonight and a political scientist on what tonight's outcome could possibly mean. An abundant amount of names on there and I didn't realize some of the names that were running. I actually saw somebody from the PPC that I didn't even know was in the federal election. So that was interesting and a lot of independents, a lot of liberals. Um, but yeah, you know, let's see the best person wins and hopefully see a bit of change in the province. You had to read through and find who you wanted to find and uh, as a simple procedure as usual. I think everyone in the world should have this opportunity. Uh, I came from a country that it wasn't so and now this is a blessing for me to do every chance I get. If the Conservatives win, this would be a really big feather in their cap because not only will they have won a, a seat from the Liberals, they will have defeated a former finance minister in Ontario. So that's a significant high-profile candidate. On the other hand, if the Liberals win, it just confirms the status quo. Whatever happens tonight is not going to change the complexion of the government. Now, despite the record number of candidates on the ballot, most voters we've been speaking with here tonight tell us they had no problem finding the candidate of their choice on their ballot. The polls close at 8.30. Reporting live in Mississauga, Mike Walker, back to you. All right, to the forecast. Not everybody wants to do it, but now's the time to put on that big winter coat. It is cold, and then we had the snow yesterday, and then uh, when I was out for a walk, it, it was just so icy. Yes. Because it's, and it's not melting anytime soon. And I was thinking, in addition to putting on the coat, probably a good idea to put on the snow tires if you haven't done so already. It was a slippery drive out there uh, yesterday on Sunday, and it looks as though we've got more snow in the forecast this week. It's still a couple of days out. We're going to monitor the, monitor the trajectory of this storm and we're going to keep an eye on the temperature because depending if it gets a little bit warmer or a little bit cooler, we could be in for some rain in addition to the snow too. Let's show you everything you need to know. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard 
to stop a train. All is calm, all is quiet on the satellite and radar right now. It's just not all that clear everywhere. We have some cloud cover lingering for areas of southwestern Ontario and part of the GTA starting to see a little bit of a clear sky in the east end, but of course the sun has now set. We'll see more of that sun tomorrow. High pressure is in place for a couple of days, in fact. So a quiet short-range forecast, and then things change as we make our way into the long range. Just going to pause this about noon tomorrow to show you beautiful blue sky is what we're forecasting. It is going to be a cold in the morning, and then we'll see improvements in the afternoon. Heading into the day on Wednesday, more sun in the forecast. A little bit of cloud is going to drape its way across the GTA. And then heading into Thursday, here's what looks to happen. In the morning, we get some rain in extreme southwestern Ontario. Typically temperatures are a little bit warmer in this part of the province. As the low makes its way into the GTA, we could be in for some mixing, but right now models are indicating that wet snow is going to fall and it could there could be a significant amount of it. it and when I say it's wet that also means it's quite heavy to shovel so right now anywhere from 5 to 15 centimeters of snow is a possibility but of course if we get some rain mixed in with that the numbers will be lessened here's tonight's forecast overnight low minus 8 degrees in Toronto but it's going to be minus 13 in Peterborough minus 15 in Bancroft feeling close to minus 20 in some of those areas tomorrow's highs here in the GTA just right around the freezing mark and again that sunshine is going to make all the difference it will likely feel a little bit warmer too winds not going to be as gusty but the winds are going to pick up as we make our way into the day on Thursday as well so in addition to some snow and possibly some rain we'll have windy weather there is the forecast high right around one degree similar situation into the day on Friday uh, it looks like Thursday evenings commute and Friday mornings will be impacted at this point but then the system is going to uh, taper off during the daytime hours on Friday, Saturday, 30% chance of flurries, and hopefully we will return to a mix of sun and cloud by Sunday. That's your look at the weather for now. Now there is still time to help us build a mountain of toys. The Toy Mountain campaign is officially underway, and we have a special message from someone today. Here's Toronto Mayor John Tory. You know, the holiday season is a time to remember the importance of giving back to our community. In that spirit of generosity, this year marks the 27th year of the CTV Toy Mountain campaign in support of the Salvation Army. Every year, CTV invites businesses and schools and organizations and community groups and individuals to donate toys to local families in need. I want to thank everyone who has donated a new unwrapped toy to any of the Toy Mountain drop-off locations. These are challenging times for so many families, and your donations to Toy Mountain are helping to reduce some of the stress faced by many parents and families who are looking to make this holiday season special for their loved ones. Toy Mountain also gives families the opportunity to access Salvation Army programs and services that help with food and clothing and housing support and much more. Many thanks to CTV for leading this campaign once again and thanks as well to the Salvation Army. I had the privilege of serving on their Toronto board many years ago and you'd be astonished to know how many people they help in so many ways every single day. So thank you again to everyone involved in this campaign. It's a great example of the generosity of Toronto residents. It is your last week to help us build a mountain of toys. The campaign officially wraps up this Friday. Nathan and Michelle, over to you. All right, thank you, Lindsay. 
you're an expecting parent and stumped for a baby name, we may have just what you need. The list of top baby names in Ontario for girls. Olivia is the most popular name. It has been number one for more than a decade with 12 consecutive years in the top spot. The runner-up, Emma, which happens to be the name of two of my beautiful nieces, by the way. Third place, Charlotte, Amelia and Ava round out the top five. For boys, Noah is number one. Close behind are Liam, Oliver, Jack and Benjamin. The list is compiled each year by the Ontario government. And you can glean the full lists on our website. Just head to ctvnewstoronto.ca and follow the links. Also tonight, bringing high school courses up to speed with cutting-edge science and tech. How the Ontario government is updating the curriculum to better align with the jobs of tomorrow. As of today, some pharmacists in Ontario can prescribe Paxlovid to help treat patients with COVID-19. The antiviral is used to reduce severe outcomes from COVID-19. It will be available at no cost and can be prescribed in person or virtually. It's hoped the increased access to this medication will help ease some of the pressure on the healthcare system. Having this access come from the community pharmacy directly will be phenomenal because there are so many patients who don't have timely access to a family physician, either because they don't have one or because our family physicians are so overwhelmed and so overworked trying to prop up our entire healthcare system. Paxlovid is available within five days of the onset of symptoms and to people over the age of 60, as well as people over 18 who are immunocompromised. Technology is always moving fast and forever changing. And with that, the province announced a revamp of our high school science and technology curriculum to help prepare students for the jobs of tomorrow. CTV's Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris has the details. Ontario is launching new computer and technology curriculum to help rocket students into the jobs of the future. These learning plans haven't been updated since 2008 and 2009. Today, with smartphones and watches and automated vehicles and the rise of social media and, in, and advancement in aerospace, we know how much the landscape has changed. The province is revamping the Grade 10 computer course for fall 2023. We want young people to understand about the role of technology and the disruptions in the economy and helping them actually be better practitioners in the space. And so you're going to see a real emphasis on real-life application. Not just building a robot, but programming it too. The technology curriculum is also getting a makeover, though it won't be ready for grades 9 and 10 until 2024. So we're emphasizing coding concepts. We're introducing knowledge on artificial intelligence and cybersecurity, emerging areas of the economy, and our own security as a nation. The government sees these areas as key, with one in five jobs projected to be in information and tech by 2026. These updates to the curriculum will ensure our students have the skills they need to take advantage of all of the opportunities that are being created. With so much future work available in science and technology, the government is being encouraged to add more mandatory learning in those fields. The education minister's ears are open. We're very much open and interested in working with job creators, with industry leaders and with the students themselves to make sure that our graduation requirements reflect the economy of tomorrow. Siobhan Morris, CTV News. Two songwriters have dropped their lawsuit against Taylor Swift. They claim the Grammy-winning musician copied their lyrics for her 2014 hit, Shake It Off. 
A trial had been set for January 17th, but the songwriters are dismissing the case. It's unclear if there was a settlement. Meanwhile, some of Swift's fans are getting another chance to buy tickets for her Eras tour. It's for Swifties who signed up for a Ticketmaster verified fan presale, but were shut out due to overwhelming demand. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. Knife attacks are way more personal. You have to get really close to someone. You can't do it from a distance. Uh, you certainly run more of a risk of getting hurt yourself, uh, more of a risk to transfer DNA from an investigative perspective. Updating our top stories, police are searching for a suspect in connection with a pair of knife attacks downtown. The attacks are believed to be random, and police are asking anyone with information about the suspect to contact them. When your kid gets a fever, this is not where you expect to end up for hours from home in a PICU, unfamiliar people around you, missing your six-year-old. An Ontario mom is speaking out after her son was transferred to a hospital roughly 350 kilometers from her home. The four-year-old was taken to Kingston General three weeks ago after being treated at Norfolk General in Simcoe. He had a fever, neck pain, and headaches before eventually being diagnosed with sepsis. Anything can happen in a by-election. And second, almost nothing can be sustainably interpreted from those results. Voters in Mississauga Lakeshore will choose their next MP from a crowded field this evening. 40 candidates have put their hat in the ring. Former Ontario Finance Minister Charles Souza is representing the Liberals. His main competition is Conservative candidate Ron Chinzer, the NDP's Julia Kroll, and the Green Party's Mary Kidnew. On the markets, the loonie was up a fraction to 73.40 U.S. Oil added 215 to close at 73.17 U.S. a barrel. And the TSX gained 73 points to end the day at 20,019. Twitter has relaunched its paid subscription service. With Twitter Blue, users can pay $8 a month to get their account verified with a blue checkmark. They can also edit their tweets, upload high-quality videos, and see fewer ads. But Apple users will have to pay $11 for the same service. It's believed Twitter is setting the higher price to offset fees charged in the App Store. It looks like the Toronto Blue Jays have landed a new starting pitcher. Multiple outlets reporting the team has signed free agent Chris Bassett. It's believed to be a three-year deal worth $63 million. The 33-year-old went 15-9 and in 30 starts with New York. Meanwhile, a Maple Leafs been chosen one of the NHL's three stars of the week. William Nylander had three goals and four assists over three games. And the Wingers' contributions helped the Buds extend their point streak to 14 games. Washington goalie Charlie Lindgren and Buffalo forward Tage Thompson are the other two stars. No World Cup games today, but this week will be a big one in Qatar. The stage is set for the semifinal matchups. Argentina faces Croatia tomorrow afternoon at 2. Lionel Messi is looking to cap off a remarkable career by winning his first World Cup. And Wednesday afternoon, France will take on Morocco in the other semi. Morocco is the first African team to make it this far in the tournament's history. Just ahead, empowering students on the go. How a mobile classroom is inspiring youth to take action against hate and intolerance.
Now to an educational experience on the go. A bus taking students on a journey to understanding through the powerful lessons of the Holocaust. CTV Scott Lightfoot snagged a seat on board today. Parked outside of Richmond Rose Public School, this bus is taking students on a journey of learning without leaving the parking lot. So believe it or not, this symbol actually existed before the Nazis even used it. Inside the 30-seat wheelchair-accessible bus, this grade 5 class is learning about the Holocaust through the story of Simon Wiesenthal. We essentially feel that the lessons of the Holocaust are universal. Um, while, you know, a student in grade 5 may not understand, nor should they, the horrors of the Holocaust, they will understand what it feels like to be different, to be left out, to be made fun of, to be bullied. We were going to say something. What's up? The story is told in an interactive presentation which teaches the students that even though the events may have happened generations before they were born, some of the issues and root causes remain today. I thought that it would stop more, but apparently more people have been doing those bad things. I think they should really stop. I learned that everybody should be treated equally and nobody should be left out. You should include everybody while you do like normal things. Called the Tour for Humanity, it's operated by the Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center and it's visited more than 800 schools across four provinces since it launched in 2013. Organizers hope to take it coast to coast, teaching lessons of the past that are relevant to kids today. We teach them to not be bystanders, that, you know, lessons of the Holocaust, if good people stand by and watch things happen, it allows the bad things to not only continue, but to get worse. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News. That's just wonderful. And you're noticing the snow on the ground yes. there. Yes, we got snow and there's more to come this week a bit later. There is. We just don't have to worry about it tonight or tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow we've got lots of sunshine in store, in fact, so that's going to be good. But the thing about tonight is how cold it is out there. It's looking like this is going to be our coldest night of the week. So just uh, that, that's maybe a silver lining if tonight is just a little bit too cold for you. So let's take a look at where things are right now, give you an idea of what it feels like once you factor in the wind as well. The winds aren't overly strong, but they're coming from a north-northeasterly direction. That's going to help keep us cool. Tomorrow, we've got all that sunshine. Temperature is still going to be below freezing most of the day. It's possible that some parts of the GTA will climb to a about zero, but other than that, we're just a couple of degrees below seasonal. It's as we make our way into the day on Thursday that we've got the next weather maker moving in, and this one could end up being a little bit of a winter wallop. It is still a few days out, but we're monitoring the potential for some heavy, wet snow beginning midday Thursday, continuing into Friday, and maybe a few flurries over the weekend. Nathan and Michelle. That's good to know. Thank you, Lindsay. And uh, be sure to join Omar Satchadina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Andrea Case with our next local newscast at 1130. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a great night. Good night.